God who said, let light shine out of darkness. We pray that you'd make your light shine in our hearts now to give us the light of the knowledge of your glory displayed in the face of Christ. And we pray that he would increase. Amen. Well, uh, my name's Dan, as Lou said, and uh, it's good to welcome you, especially if you are visiting us today. And Lou said we're beginning this new series in John's Gospel. Uh, John is the, the fourth book in the New Testament part of the Bible, one of the uh, eyewitness accounts of the life, death, uh, and resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to be going through John uh, to the summer, taking us to, to the end of chapter six, probably. Um, and uh, so maybe, or well, yeah, definitely, it'd be a really good thing uh, for you to do, not now, because you, know, you want me to listen, but um, at some point, uh, to read through John, give it a go. See how far you get. At least read through chapters 1 to 6. We're going to suggest that home groups do that this week. Um, But uh, maybe go a bit further. I dare you uh, to see if you can get to the end. Uh, We have ordered some copies of John's Gospel, um, which haven't arrived yet. So uh, you have to hold on to that till till the weekend, next weekend, or or pop in during the week. But we've got some copies of John's Gospel coming. If you find it helpful, uh, so use one of those to scribble on, um, to highlight, to make notes. Um, then, uh, then please do grab one of those during the week or at the weekend and use that. Please don't scribble on the church Bibles in front of you. Um, wait until you get the nice Gospels that are coming. And we, we uh, also, maybe you want to give that away to someone uh, or help someone else um, read it. And uh, yeah, so John, John's Gospel. Uh, as I say, it's kind of one of the biographies of Jesus, written perhaps probably around 50 years or so uh, after the events that, it, that it's recording. Uh, we're not quite sure of the exact date. But we know the purpose. We know why John wrote this book. Uh, John was one of Jesus' closest followers, uh, one of three, the three closest who kind of Jesus took into the most intimate um, uh, parts of the things that he was teaching. And uh, John records his purpose at the end of the book in chapter 20. He says in verses 30 to 31, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there we go. That's handy, isn't it? It's always helpful if we're trying to to understand what the Bible's saying. It's always helpful to see what the people who wrote it want us to understand, what they intended us to understand and learn from it. And so here we see that John's intention is that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, have life in his name. And uh, that would be relevant for us if we know nothing about Jesus, if you've turned up here today and you know nothing about who Jesus is, uh, you've never perhaps considered him before, then this is entirely relevant for you. This is John writing for you so that you can see who he is and you can believe, come to believe in time. But this is also relevant for those of us who have believed. It would be be stupid of us to switch off and think, oh, well, John's writing that for people who aren't Christians yet. So uh, I'm just going to, I don't know, think about my shopping or, or whatever. That would be stupid, because there's so many riches in this book. There's so many riches for us to, to glean and, and learn and mine about who Jesus is and, and what God is like. It's, a, it's an amazing and exciting book. And of course, we need to have our, our belief nurtured, don't we? We need to be, to be fed ourselves. And uh, talking about being fed, 
Um, we've we sort of said on the, the, the heartbeat on Thursday, we were talking about uh, the great meal we've had recently in Philippians. I just want to warn you a bit um, uh, that this morning is, is going to be a little bit like a, a kind of all-you-can-eat buffet. Um, uh, we've got one of our uh, best friends. Uh, they have a son. Uh, I won't say his name to protect Tim's... Uh, and, no, he's not called Tim. Um, but they have a son, and, uh, and we went, went with them to a, a Chinese all-you-can-eat buffet. And uh, we had a, a wonderful evening. It was great fun. And, um, but at the end of the evening, uh, Lee said his name, but their, their son, he kind of, you know, I think he was sort of four or five at the time, and uh, he kind of came out, and he was going, sort of holding his stomach, kind of bending over like this, Daddy, you said I could eat all I want, and I did. <laughs> and he was kind of in tears because he'd eaten so much Chinese food. Um, so uh, this is going to be a little bit like that. This is going to be a kind of all-you-can-eat uh, buffet. Uh, there might be kind of quite a lot here that we cover and we go through this morning. Uh, please don't be overwhelmed, but rather just take something. Take, um, uh, take in as much as you can, but make sure you digest it. Uh, try and hold on to one or two key things as we go through. And I will just sort of give you a disclaimer that, that John is a, um, a really personal book for me. Like I, I first heard about Jesus uh, through, through this book. So I grew up in a family where I wasn't a religious family at all, didn't know anything about Jesus. And the first time I heard about him really was in, was in this book. Um, so uh, yeah, there we go. Anyway, let's get on. Um, so we're going to sort of go through three words this morning. I'm going to just ask you to remember three words. The first one is the word. The first word that I want you to remember is the word. And we're picking up uh, John chapter 1, uh, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. It's on page 1063, by the way. I didn't say that, sorry. Page 1063. So we have this, this character, the word. The word. What does that mean? Well, we'll think about that in a moment. But first we'll just notice that this word was with God, and this word was God. The word was with God, and the word was God. And that this word was the agent of creation, through whom all things, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So this word is God, and yet he's with God. And this word was involved in the creation. But why is he called the word? Why not some other name? Why word? Well, what does word mean? Word, what, what thought does word communicate? Words communicate meaning, don't they? Words express things. I'm using words now to express meaning to you. Words express things. And so we come to the word. The word expresses God himself. The word is God's self-expression. The word communicates God to us. He is God. He communicates God to us. How does he do that? You might have noticed, if you were particularly observant, that in face-to-face, I'm not sure this is on the email copy, but it's certainly on the paper copy if you grabbed one, uh, there's an important message here. 
the important message isn't the prayer and practical guides for Lent, although that is important. But there's an important message here on face-to-face, which you can't read. You can't read because the words have been blacked out, so you can't see what the words are. They've been ineffective in communicating, haven't they? The word has to reach you for you to be able to communicate any meaning to you. So these words that uh, Sarah's typed under important message, you'll never know what they are, because I can't remember. But we just type random words. But you won't know what they are, they won't, haven't reached you, they won't communicate anything to you. But the word communicates God to us, how? Well, verse 14 says that he was made flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And there's a hint how he can be both God and be with God. God is a son and a father. We'll come back to that. And notice that he's spoken of as a hymn here. The word is a hymn, a personal being. Uh, I wonder if you've ever eaten chili con carne. Anyone ever had chili con carne? Yeah? Yeah, it's very keen. It's good. <laughs> Martin's favorite meal, perhaps. Um, it simply means chili with meat, doesn't it? Chili con carne, chili with meat. Sorry if you're vegetarian, you're missing out. But what John verse, what chapter 1, verse 14 is saying is that Jesus became, or the word became, God con carne, God with meat. Jesus took on, the word took on flesh, God with meat. And so that's how he came to reveal God to us. That's how the word communicates God to us. He wasn't kind of uh, redacted in these kind of blocked out things so we couldn't read the word. He came in person, in flesh, in meat. He came so that we might, he might communicate God to us. And so uh, as we go through this morning, I just want to do a few windows into later parts of John's gospel. So we're just going to skip ahead to chapter 14. And uh, I'm going to read to you from verses 6 to 10, uh, where we see something of this going on. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Uh, There's a question being asked. And Jesus answered, verse 6 of John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He's the Word who is God, the Son from the Father who communicates God to us. Or as Jesus had recorded, had said earlier on, recorded in chapter 12, uh, verses 44 to 45, then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me, Jesus said, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And so, perhaps one of the most important verses in the Bible, John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God. 
How can you know God? No one's ever seen God. How can we know him? But the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The word, God's self-expression, becomes human to communicate God to us, to make God known to us. He becomes something tangible to us, something that we can see and understand. The word who reveals God to us. Do you want to know God? Do you want to see God? Do you want to discover him for the first time? Or do you want to rediscover him? Increase your knowledge of him? Increase your hunger and thirst for knowing him? Do you want to delight in him? Do you want to enjoy his riches, all the riches that he's lavished upon us? Well, then we need to see who he is in this word. So that's the first word I'd like you to remember this morning, the word. second one is light, the light. Uh, I was looking for some um, uh, videos that we could use in response on this passage. And uh, the best one I came up with, I didn't think it was entirely appropriate, although Lou's developed it with a great idea, I'll tell you about in a moment. The best video I found was a church in Singapore um, who did this, um, this kind of, you know those light shows where everything's pitch black and people wear these special suits and they dance and they're all lit up and everything. Well, anyway, they'd kind of introduced the Light of the World series with these light suits and a dance and some dubstep music in the background. It was quite good. I nearly played it, um, but I thought better of it. But Lou suggested I should have dressed up in a, a kind of light suit um, for, for the, um, to make the point, but I'll spare you that. Um, Instead, something much more civilised. Cast your minds back to series one, I think it probably was, of Downton Abbey. Uh, anyone who, who watched, watched that. Uh, imagine a world before mains electricity. Before those weird things called light bulbs. Go back further in time and, 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 uh, and, uh, and to a place where night was pitch black. No, no street lights, or not, not like we know. No bright lights. No light pollution, really. No head torches. No... Uh, smartphone torches, no smartphones. Just think about a kind of a different context of darkness uh, that we kind of don't really know in our day. And John uses this theme of, of night and darkness intentionally through his book. Nicodemus approaches Jesus at night in chapter 3. That John records this detail at night is kind of suggestive of of the absence of light among the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They were in spiritual darkness, blindness. They could not see or, or would not see the truth. Perhaps most poignantly, at the, at the departure of Judas during the Lord's Supper to go and betray Jesus, John records in chapter 13, verse 30, and it was night. Judas goes out to betray Jesus, and John points out, and it was night. Again, it, it seems that John included this detail on purpose to highlight the darkness of, of Judas' actions, the darkness of the chain of, of events which he set off, uh, as, which would lead to Jesus being crucified the next day. I guess most of us have experienced something of the darkness of this world, the darkness of death ripping away a loved one from us. The darkness of deceit when we're deceived by someone we trust. The darkness, perhaps, that we've observed in our own thoughts and hearts. I'm sure you can think of examples of darkness that you've experienced. 
the word, God's self-expression shines as a light into this dark world, into our darkness. And uh, to see this, let's have a little window into chapter 4. Uh, chapter 4 of John is on page 1066. And, uh, and there we see this uh, just beautiful story, really, uh, where Jesus stops uh, in a place called Samaria. He sits down at a well. It's midday. Uh, we see that in verses uh, 5 to 7. And, uh, and a Samaritan woman comes to speak to Jesus, come, or comes to draw water from the well. Now, this woman is an outcast. She's drawing water at midday, in the heat of the day. You don't do that unless you're an outcast. She's a woman and she's a Samaritan. She should not be speaking to Jesus. The culture of the day would be that Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with such a woman. But that's not what Jesus is like. And, uh, and we learn from this woman's experience, as I say, she's there in the midday, that suggests she's an outcast. We learn later on um, uh, in verses um, 16 to 18 uh, that she'd actually uh, had uh, five husbands, uh, was now living with a guy who was not her husband. We know there's a, a, an amount of darkness in her life. An outcast from the wrong type of people group. And she's had uh, this lifestyle uh, of, um, of all these different men. There's an element of darkness in her life. But Jesus comes with compassion, not with the judgment uh, that might be expected. He comes with compassion and love for this woman. And he comes and shines light into her life. We see uh, in verse 30, uh, 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And we see a bit later that she runs off and goes and tells everyone, could this be the Messiah? Here's this woman living in darkness, experiencing the darkness of the world. And Jesus comes, the light, who shines light into her darkness. In uh, chapter 8, verse 12, uh, it says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Or in chapter 9, verse 5, he says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. This is a, a really important theme in John. Light is a really important theme in John. That's why uh, we've called this series the light of life. We'll see it as we go through how much this appears and, and resurfaces. But it's not just in John. I wonder if you noticed uh, when you've read the kind of first few verses of John chapter 1, when we read them earlier, I wonder if you noticed any similarities, any parallels with elsewhere in the Bible. The Bible begins with a book uh, called Genesis, which means beginnings. And uh, that's right at the beginning. If you want to follow, you don't need to. But Genesis begins with these words. In the beginning. Well, that's interesting. We saw that in John 1, didn't we? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We saw that too in John 1. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So you kind of got this theme of light and into the darkness. It actually runs through the whole of the Bible. 
Uh, we could follow it through. You could think about the light guiding God's people in the Exodus. We sang a song about the light uh, of, of, of the word in the Psalms. We read at the beginning of the promise of light in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on them, a light of, uh, on, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Uh, we could look at the kind of promise or the, the teaching about light in, in 2 Corinthians 4. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Uh, there's even reference to it in Revelation, but I won't go there for now. So this is kind of an important theme in the whole of the Bible. And in his introduction, John writes from verse 4, In him was life, that's the word, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So we see there's a need to receive this light. There's a need to receive the light. And uh, to all who do, to all who receive this light, Jesus says we can become children of God. We could kind of trace through uh, what this means in in John. We could look at the love that the Father's always had for the Son in chapter 5. But... um, But chapter 17 of John is, is I think, the best place to see this. Towards the end of John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father. This is the night before he's crucified. And uh, there's just these these few lines which really are so powerful, I think. In, uh, in um, In verse 23... Uh, towards the end of verse 23, Jesus praying, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. And this is uh, Jesus praying for all who believe in him. And he wants us to know, and the world to know, that we are loved, as loved by the Father, as Jesus the Son is. Or again, uh, verse 26, uh, I've made you known to them, And will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the relationship that that John is saying that Jesus wants to call us into. Children of God. This isn't some kind of dry, dusty, boring, uh, theological kind of term. This is something that's that's life-giving, that's exciting. Children of God brought in to share the love that the Father has for the Son, as loved as the Son by the Father. That's the relationship that that God calls us into. That's the relationship that the light shines and shows us that we can be children of God, that we can be as loved by the Father 
as the son is, as we're adopted as his sons and daughters. Will you receive the light? Will you receive the light and become children of God? Uh, John chapter 3 uh, has, uh, says this, verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And in John 3, the idea is kind of this believing, trusting in Jesus, trusting in what he's done so that we can have life. Uh, and uh, that's kind of how we receive the light. We believe, we trust, we put our trust in what Jesus has done. We rely on him, on his person and his work. Jesus' uh, own words in chapter 12, he says, uh, Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. And again in chapter 12, I have come into the world as light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Will you receive the light? The word, the light, and the final word is glory, the glory. If the word reveals God to us, if the word reveals God to us, what kind of God does he reveal? What is God like? Actually, this is a good question for us, even if we don't believe in God, if we say we wouldn't believe in God. Uh, Generally, when people say, I don't believe in God, they have an idea of the the God who they don't believe in. Uh, What's God like? What is the God like whose existence you've come to doubt? Well, glory is one of those words that many of us use without perhaps um, being entirely sure what it means. If we're pushed to define glory, how many of us would would hesitate for a moment and then say something like, uh, glory is like, um, uh, you know, um, glory. How many of us would define it like that? But it's a significant word in the Bible. And it carries a range of meaning. And it's it's used to mean slightly different things in, in different places that it occurs. John, thankfully only really uses it one way. John almost always uses the word glory to refer to speak of of God's essential nature, who God is at the core of his being. In John, to see God's glory is to see who God really is, to see what he's really like. And if you see God's glory, you see his brilliance, his greatness. It's awesome. And so seeing that, you honor God. Seeing his brilliance and honoring him are tied in with seeing his glory. And once we're clear on on what John means by glory, it's soon no surprise to us that glory is a, a key concept throughout John's book. Given that John has already introduced us to the word who reveals God to us, God's communication of himself, seeing God's glory is naturally a key theme for John. He's introduced us to God, the one who reveals God to us, So to see what God is like is obviously a key theme. So what kind of God does this word communicate? Verse 14 again of John 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. What is God like? A father and a son. A father and a son, an eternal father an eternal son. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and his son 
who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we know from later in John and, and the rest of the Bible that God also is spirit, Father, Son, and Spirit, eternally existing together in a relationship of love. We know from John chapter 5, that's what the Father and Son were doing before creation. The Father eternally loving the Son. But also we see that this God is full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And this translates a key Old Testament phrase. If you've read much of the Old Testament part of the Bible, you'll be familiar perhaps with God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Sometimes people say, hesed, love. Hesed being the original Hebrew words. Hesed, steadfast love, mercy, covenant love, promise love, gracious love. And met is the other Hebrew word, truth, faithfulness. And the best place to see this is in Exodus chapter 33 and 34. If you want to follow, you can. You don't have to. But if you want to, it's on page 92. Um, But if you're um, getting tired of looking up all these different pages, then please don't worry. Uh, Page 92, starting at verse 12 of Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people. But you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You said I know you by name and you found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And uh, the Lord says he's going to do it. He'll go with them. And Moses asks the Lord this question. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name. The Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And then uh, the Lord gives directions to Moses of a a place where he can go. Uh, He stands on a rock uh, and uh, Moses has to hide uh, to be shielded from the brilliance and the holiness and the awesomeness uh, of God's glory. And, uh, and God sort of goes on to kind of explain uh, some more instructions to Moses. But then in chapter 34, we read what happened. Then the Lord came down in the crowd and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord Yahweh, his personal name, I am. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents, the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, If I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Why have I just read all of that? The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, 
slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is how God revealed himself to Moses. This is how God showed his glory to Moses. Now, John says, now the word, God's self-expression, has appeared in flesh as a man living among us. And we've seen what he's like. We've seen the essence of his being, his glory. What is it? Full of grace and truth, abounding in love and faithfulness. And actually one of the most exciting things about John's book, and therefore this series, I'm quite excited about this series, is that in chapter 5, John will record that Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. Moses was writing about me. Jesus is the I am, the Yahweh, who proclaimed himself, who revealed himself to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, full of uh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That was Jesus, the word. Jesus himself uh, uses this phrase, I am, several times as some sayings will come on to. But in chapter 8, John records Jesus very clearly taking that name, I am, Yahweh, on himself. He's saying, I am. Do you get what's going on? Do you understand what it was that John and his contemporaries were witnessing? Jesus wasn't just a prophet telling people about God. Jesus was the Lord, Yahweh himself, the I am, the compassionate and gracious God in flesh to communicate God to us. They saw his glory all right. And we don't have to guess how Jesus showed his glory, how he showed himself to be full of grace and truth. John carefully records how Jesus showed his glory. Chapter 2, verse 11, after turning water into wine, into fine wine nonetheless, uh, what Jesus did here in in Cana of Galilee, verse 11 of chapter 2, was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This was the first of a number of signs which John recorded. This along with um, a sign of healing a man's son who was close to death. And that was with just a word. Jesus didn't need to be physically present to heal someone. But there was the sign of healing a man who'd been an invalid for 38 years. He is after all the compassionate God who has the will and power to restore broken lives and make people whole. Well, there's the sign of feeding a huge crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children, perhaps 20,000 people in all, with just five small loaves and of bread and two small fish. And yes, this sign showed his creating power, but much more significantly than that, this sign pointed to the truth that he's the one who gives life so that those who receive him may live. Bread was life. And through this sign, Jesus taught that you need him if you want to live. There's a sign of healing a man who's blind from birth. Jesus restored sight to him, through which he highlighted our need for light among spiritual darkness. Our need to be given sight from spiritual blindness. There's a sign of raising a man from death. A man who'd been dead and buried in a tomb for four days. Jesus commands Lazarus, come out, and he obeys and comes out. In all these signs and more, 
Jesus showed his glory. He showed his essential nature. He showed his power. He showed his authority over creation, over sickness, and over death. He showed his love and compassion for broken, hurting, and needy people. But all this so far is but a mere glimpse of his glory, just a a flicker of the light, the full beam of the floodlight of his glory was still to come. In chapter 12, uh, we hear Jesus saying, verses 23 to 28, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The hour to which Jesus refers uh, is another thread running through John's book, a thread which finds its climax toward the end of John's book. In chapter 17, Jesus prays. At the beginning of chapter 17, verse 1 to 5, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those whom you've given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began place where we see the full brilliance of God's glory is the most unexpected place, an ugly place, a place of shame, a place of horror, a place of death on the cross. There, Jesus bearing our sin, bearing the punishment for our sin, dying in our place, giving his life so that we might have life. The good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep. There is where we see ultimately the glory of God, the sight of who God is at his core, where we see the fullness of his grace and truth, his compassion, his love. This is the ultimate sight of God's love, his steadfast love and compassion, his grace. This is the full power, overwhelming floodlight, illuminating the glory of God. Do you want to see what God is like? See him there. See him there. Here the Son is glorified, and here the Father is glorified, and yet there's more to come. This doesn't exhaust the glory, because John carries on to tell us about the resurrection of Jesus himself. He didn't stay dead, but he rose, and again is glorified in that proof that he is who he claimed to be, grounds on which to trust him that he'll bring us into his eternal life. Assurance of death defeated. Assurance that the darkness can't overcome the light. 
Actually, uh, John then includes another sign at the end of his book, a miraculous catch of fish, and, and the book finishes with this beautiful picture of the grace of Jesus as he tenderly reinstates one of his closest followers who had denied him three times. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So just in this, uh, I say quick, but perhaps not so quick, introduction to John, we see the word, the word who shines the light, the word who shines the light of the glory of God, the word who shines the light of the glory of God. And uh, remember the purpose John wrote this, Uh, Chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Perhaps uh, we could summarize John's gospel with this sentence, the word who shines the light of the glory of God so that we might see, might believe and have life. The word who shines the light of the glory of God, so that we might believe and have life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are a God who delights to make himself known, that you are a God who is pleased to communicate, and that you have chosen to, to communicate yourself to us. And Father, we thank you that you're a God who is love, right at the core of your being, the Father and the Son and the Spirit who we sung of earlier in this community of love. Thank you that you've made yourself known to us as this kind of God, a warm, loving God, an attractive God. And Father, thank you that you've brought us to You invite us to share that relationship of love. That the Son has revealed you as a father, a loving father. That the Son has shone the light so that we might receive it and become children of God. That we might be loved even as the Son has been loved eternally by the Father. Our minds uh, struggle to, to really grasp this, Father. You know our weakness. You know our limitations. You know our doubts. We pray that as we go through this this book uh, in the weeks and months ahead, please would you show us your glory. Show us who you are. Show us the extent of your grace and truth, your love for us, your compassion for us. Show us how amazing you are. And warm our hearts to worship you, to fall in love for the first time with you perhaps, or again, or deeper. Father, as we see the Son revealed in these pages, we pray that as we see him and see you, you'd warm our hearts by your Spirit and help us to grow in our knowledge of what it means to be your children. Amen.